I got this problem that maybe you can help me solve. Okay, here's my problem. Maybe you understand it. The problem is two kids, one cookie. You ever had this problem? Sometimes it's two kids, one truck. Sometimes it's two kids, one video game controller. Two kids, one cookie. What do you do? Well, everybody knows the solution, right? This is the classic kid solution. If you don't know, let me teach it to you. One kid cuts the cookie in half, and the other kid picks the piece. Why? Because the one kid cutting the cookie in half, he is stating by the fact that he is meticulous. If you've ever watched a kid cut a, cut a piece of something in half, they're meticulously like, they're stating, I believe that these two pieces are even. The second kid believes they got the biggest piece. It's a win-win, right? It's fair, and we like it when things are fair. Is it possible, though, for everyone to win all the time? No. No, because if you're a real parent, <laughs> you've also had the moment where there's the cookie, and the one kid ran to the pantry and got the last cookie first, and the other kid's like, I want a cookie, I didn't get a cookie, I didn't get a cookie. It's not fair. And if you're a good mom or dad, what do you say? Sorry, bud, life's not fair. Because one of the most important lessons you can learn as a child is life's not fair. Guess what? Only one team wins the Super Bowl every year. Yeah, and if you're a Dallas Cowboys fan like I am, you're like, it's our turn, surely. Not this year, sucker. Only one team wins. Not everyone can win every time. Or only uh, one person can sometimes get the cookie, right? Now, here's the thing. We know that life's not fair, but sometimes not only is there not enough cookies, but there's kids around the world who don't have good drinking water. Is that fair? Not only is it not fair, it's not right. And there is a big connection between what is fair and what is right. When we look to the Bible, when we look to God's word, and we ask ourselves how to solve the dilemma of two kids, one cookie, um, you let me know if you know of something that I haven't found yet. But God doesn't talk a lot about being fair. I don't know that being fair is one of God's big things. But, but he does have a higher virtue that he spends a lot of time talking about. And it's what we're going to talk about today. God's word for this whole question is justice. What does it mean to find justice? Now, I'm not sure if we're going to completely answer that question today. But I hope that before we leave that you will understand that it's at God's heart. That his followers, especially if you call yourself a Christ follower today, should be people of justice. But how do we decide what that means? Okay, to get there, we're going to be continuing in our series through the Minor Prophets. And we're going to be in the book of Amos. Anybody read Amos recently? Grab your Bibles. Open up to the book of Amos. It's actually a pretty uh, good teaching book. If you need a Bible, if you didn't bring one or you just don't have a good one of your own, we have a shelf full of them back here. They are yours. If you need to borrow one for the service... Borrow it for the service. If you need to keep one for the rest of your life, take it home with you. Write your name in the front cover. It's your Bible. Amos, and I'll go ahead and flip to chapter 2 and verse 6. We're actually going to start in chapter 2 today. Uh, we're studying this, and we're in this series where we're going through the minor prophets. And just a reminder, or maybe your first time you haven't heard this, the minor prophets are a collection of 12 books at the end of our English Old Testament. So kind of halfway in the middle of the Bible there. Uh, and, and the 12 minor prophets are called minor prophets. A, they're, they're minor, not because they're not important, but because minor means small or short. These are very short books. The book we read last week was three very short chapters. We read through Joel. Uh, that's why they're called minor. And they're called prophets because in biblical times, if someone had an encounter with God 
And they came away with a message for his people that they were called a prophet. And their message was the prophecy. That's what they're talking about. So they're minor and they're prophets. They're minor prophets. We're going to cover uh, six of these books this summer. This is week three of that. Um, and then we are going to take a pause and we're going to pick up the next six, the last six minor prophets next summer. So um, you can anxiously await that all year and you'll be so excited. It'll be like Christmas in July. Amos, uh, before we get into his book, um, Amos was, was written in a rough time in Jewish history. Uh, at this time in the history, uh, the nation was actually divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. And so a picture civil war, that's kind of what goes on in a nation, and it's happened in many countries when a country's been split in half. So they've got now two kings, they've got two sets of rules. They're still the nation of Israel, so they're still like living on the promise of Abraham from the beginning of the Old Testament, but it's, it's a tumultuous time. Not only that, but they have like, many of them given up on what it means to truly worship their God, Yahweh God, because pagan religions have crept in to society at large. And I mean, to a large degree, many of the people are kind of like pluralizing pagan religion with Yahweh worship and mixing it all together. And it's, it's getting ugly. And you see that all throughout uh, the, the, um, the, the prophets, especially the minor prophets. And uh, not only that, but God is, is, is fed up with them, okay? And so he's like, I... You've quit honoring me with your life. You're worshiping me. You're worshiping pagan gods, first of all, demonic forces at worst, and just little man-made idols at best. And what are you doing? And so he's sending these prophets down to say, listen, stop. God is a God of grace. And he says, I want to I give you an opportunity to turn your heart back to me. And so the message of most of the prophets is repentance, which is just turning your heart back to God. Isn't that something that we all need to do every single day? But God is starting to tell these prophets that, listen, I'm just going to let the nation of Israel fall. I'm going to let both kingdoms crumble, and eventually it's going to happen. The Assyrians are going to come in and wipe out the kingdoms. The Babylonians are going to tote a lot of them off into exile. It's going to be bad for them. Now, okay, so that's what's to come. Amos happens right before that fall. Okay, so that's where we find Amos. And Amos kind of has this encounter with God. He is this uh, shepherd from a place called Tekoa, and he's out there, I guess, kind of watching his flocks, and then he begins having this encounter with God. So he walks away feeling, I need to go talk to the northern kingdom of Israel and tell them about they need to turn their hearts back to God. And so the book of Amos is a collection of his sermons, illustrations, really. And so you've got a little bit of history at the beginning, and then at the end, he's going to do some metaphors of there's a, there's a plumb line and a wall and a basket of fruit and all these different kind of metaphors. And so that's, we're not going to read a whole lot of the book of Amos today, though. So we're going to take a different shift. Last week, the book of Joel was so short that we just read almost the entire book. This week, I want to get right into the action, and I want to talk about what's the problem that Amos has found, and most importantly, what is it something that we can walk away with today? And spoiler, it's going to be about justice. Okay, so we're in Amos chapter 2, verse 6. Hope you're, hopefully you're already there. And let's just read it together. Amos 2, 6. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not relent. Here it is. This is the problem. They sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground. They deny justice to the oppressed. Father and son use the same girl and so profane my holy name. They lie down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge in the house of their God. And they drink wine taken as fines. 
We could read a lot more of the book of Amos, but these few verses give us a nice little snapshot of what's the problem. And in these two things, I don't know if it jumped right out at you. I actually had to study it a few times and read some commentaries and be like, what is this talking about? We can identify two problems that this kingdom is having, okay? The first problem is there's a justice problem. There's a justice problem. Maybe you picked up on that. That was the biggest problem. I mean, there's innocent people that are suffering. They're taking advantage of poor people. They're abusing oppressed people. They're denying these lower class citizens justice. D- did you see uh, the, the part about selling them for a sandal or a pair of sandals? Uh, here, here's what that meant, okay, like looking into it. What he's saying is that the legal system was so corrupt that a judge could be paid off with something as little as a pair of sandals, okay? So like, what would it take for you to find in my favor, boss? about these uh, Birkenstocks, right? And like, boom, injustice, okay? And so that's what's going on. And no one is stepping up to say, this is wrong. We should stop. This is unjust. No one's doing that. That's why Amos has to come do this thing. So there is a justice problem. And then secondly, there's a righteousness problem. There's a righteousness problem. They're not honoring the God of Yahweh. They're God. They're being grossly immoral. Maybe you caught that disturbing line about a father and a son sharing the same woman. Like, so the heart of some of the biggest problems in the world, by the way, is sexual sin. That's not even what this book's about. He just drops that little Easter egg in there and it keeps moving. There's a righteousness problem and it's a big deal. And we're going to see in a minute that their righteousness problem is actually what's fueling their justice problem. Because I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but that's how it works. Injustice is fueled by wickedness. That's like half the message of the Old Testament. Injustice is fueled by wickedness. Conversely, righteousness is fueled by, I mean, justice is fueled by righteousness. They're inseparable. They go hand in hand. And so this righteousness problem is fueling their justice problem. And so we saw in verse 8, we'll look at it again. He hops right back into the justice problem. Did you catch that little line about they lay down at an altar with garments uh, that they got through pledge? What in the world is that about? I didn't know. I looked it up. This is the thing. There was a law. Uh, actually, it was part of the law of Moses. It's in the book of Exodus. And there was this neat like, kind of piece of the law, and it was particularly for people in poverty. And what it said was that you could take your cloak, your garment, your outer garment, which to a poor person at this time was the most valuable thing many of them owned because it was their shelter in the rain. It was their blanket at night. It was their house. They're sleeping on a bale of hay, like whatever it is. This is a third world country 2,000 years ago, okay? So your outer garment, your cloak is a very important thing. The thing is, the law allowed for this, and this is pretty cool. You could use that garment as collateral for things. So like if you went into a thing, you're making a deal, you're trying to do a job, you go to the site leader and you're like, hey, I'm going to do this job. You can hold my garment as collateral. I promise I'll do the job. But the law said you had to give that garment back before bedtime, before the sun goes down. Why? Because the person that set up the law was the God who was the God of justice. And he says, you know what poor people need? Their garment. Okay, so take the garment, let it serve as, as collateral for whatever it is they're using, but they need to have it back for bedtime. And if they're going to work for you in the morning, they can give it back. Isn't that crazy? That's not how our society works. Our society is like, well, sorry, too bad for you, sucker. Like, you, I'm keeping your garment. Well, that's what these people are doing. And not only are they keeping the garment, but they're blatantly just going down and laying down next to the altar on these garments. I can't even imagine what scenario led to that. But the point that Amos is making is like, you guys are a mess. You do not care about people who are less fortunate than you are. You are not being just. And so all of this, the righteousness problem, the justice problem is a slap in the face of God because as he's going to go on to say, he's like, 
aren't you the nation, Israel? Aren't you the nation that I plucked out of obscurity and I spoke to your forefathers and I gave you a purpose and I grew you into a people and then you found yourself in slavery in Egypt and aren't you the people that I rescued from slavery with miraculous works, so miraculous that the surrounding nations gave me homage and praise and worship because they saw what I did for you and aren't you the people that I led into the wilderness and then gave you this whole established law and covenant with you that I would be your people aren't you the people that I have sent you leader after leader after leader and prophet to come to give you my word aren't you that people and aren't I are your God and do you not know my heart you have fallen so far from the heart of how I established to be. They have a righteousness problem. They've got a justice problem. And that's what Amos is addressing in his book. Um, let's talk about this connection between justice and righteousness. I mean, you can probably already see how they go hand in hand, but they are really inseparable. Uh, let, let's talk about the two words. First, righteousness. Righteousness is a, maybe a religious word. It's, a, it's not a big word. We get like, it's not really that difficult. You know what the righteousness means? It just means to do right. <laughs> That's what it means. It's like to, to do right. Now, for someone who's trying to do right in the eyes of God, you know, the standard of what rightness you do, you know, does, does vary. But that's what righteousness is, is to do right. And one of the biggest markers for righteousness, when you think about righteousness, you probably think about like, am I sinning or not? Very true. Big part of righteousness. Um, but do you know that one of God's biggest calls in righteousness is that we uh, live out his character in our lives? And so one of God's biggest goals is that we love other people. Righteousness is also measured by how you treat other people. And this is where like legalism gets us in trouble because as long as I'm good with God and I'm doing my thing, it doesn't matter what's happening with anybody else. But that's actually not what God's righteousness is all about. One of my favorite Bible scholars, a guy named Tim Mackey, uh, maybe you've seen their stuff, uh, thebibleproject.com, and they've got some amazing teaching videos. I've learned a lot from Tim Mackey and that team. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to read a broken up quote from him. So here's the first part of it. And when he talks about righteousness, he says, righteousness is about treating others with their God-given dignity. What does it mean to treat others the way God would treat them? Well, think about it. We were created in the image of God. Scripture says that mankind is God's treasured possession. Think about your treasured possession, your favorite vehicle or a child that you have or some you know, relic, some you know, memento that you own. How do you want people to treat that? How do you want people to treat your treasured possession? Mankind is God's treasured possession possession and so to do right righteousness I love this line it's about treating others with their God-given dignity that's why in the Old Testament uh, Moses taught treat like love your neighbors as yourself Jesus says this is the greatest commandment in fact Jesus goes on as far to say that like not only should you love your neighbor they're like well who is my neighbor so he paints this whole picture. He's like, actually, you should love your enemies. You should pray for people who persecute you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, you turn the other cheek. That's how we love the way that God would love and we treat people with their God-given dignity. And that's how we live out the character of God in our own lives as we interact with people. So you cannot be righteous if you are not intentionally giving people the dignity that they deserve because they're just simply a creation of God. That's hard to swallow. Um, 
Tim Tim Mackey goes on to say that when we apply righteousness to justice, it's more than just trying to make things fair, okay? So we're going to talk a lot about fairness here in just a minute. And let me read some more of this quote. He says, what it means, how does righteousness and justice compare? What it means is, it means going a step further, actually seeking out vulnerable people who are being taken advantage of and helping them. Like, it's one thing if somebody shows up at your door, knock, 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 uh, hey, I need some help. It's another thing to seek out the vulnerable. Leave your house, go find them, and help them. It means taking, this is more quote, it means taking steps to advocate for the vulnerable and changing social structures to prevent injustice. Like, let's make the system better. So, he concludes, justice and righteousness are about a radical, selfless way of life. So the people that Amos is writing to, they have missed all that, okay? They're walking all over people. They are taking advantage of people. They're not loving people. Their hearts are not aligned with God. And this is a huge disregard for justice, and it utterly infuriates God, which is why God comes to Amos and says, send them this message. And so God calls down judgment on the nation of Israel. In chapters 1 and 2, uh, he, he actually goes and, and he calls out judgment on the surrounding nations. And it's kind of neat. When you read chapters 1 and 2, he, he calls out this city and this country, this nation, whatever, blah, 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 this kingdom. He calls them out. If you were to plot them out on a map, they actually draw a big circle around right in the middle in the crosshairs. He finally gets in chapter 2, verse 13, to Israel as if to say, you're surrounded by evil. You're surrounded by wickedness and injustice, but you guys are at the heart of it because you should help the world be different. Amos 2.13, this is the judgment on Israel. It's not pretty. Now then, I will crush you as a cart crushes when loaded with grain. The swift will not escape. The strong must, uh, will not muster their strength, and the warrior will not save his life. The archer will not stand his ground. The fleet-footed soldier will not get away. And the horseman will not save his life. Even the bravest warriors will flee naked on that day, declares the Lord. And this is more of that same language that we see in some of the other prophets. I mean, it's just like doom and gloom. And you're like, wow, this is why I didn't want to read this book. Because it's kind of not happy and we like to read happy stuff. But it's like, this is the the message. And I want to say this because the same God that says that kind of stuff in the Old Testament. By the way, those same kinds of judgments are still true today. But this is the God who is full of grace and truth. And in this grace, he steps in. That's why he sends in people like we've talked about Hosea and Joel and now Amos. Because what he wants is for the people to turn their hearts back to him. But their choice to live in unrighteousness and to act unjustly is separating them from the very nature and the very character of God. It's like, listen, if you want to be in my family, act like you're in my family. This is how we act. And you're not doing that. You clearly don't want to be in my family. These people have a justice problem. We're going to keep reading just a couple more verses just to paint it more clearly. Amos chapter 5 now. If you flip over to chapter 5, we'll skip through these. First verse 7. He said, there are those who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground. I want you to hear that for a second. They cast righteousness to the ground. And I've seen this on TV and in interviews and in famous people who they just deliberately, blatantly, Oh, man, they just like, this thing is wicked, and I know it. I'm going to own it. I'm just going to cast righteousness to the ground. Verse 10, let's look at another one. There are those who hate the one who upholds justice in court and detest the one who tells the truth. Like, you see them doing good, the one trying to uphold justice, and you're like, ah, hate that goody-goody. 
Why are they always trying to make everything right all the time? Verse 11, you levy a straw tax on the poor and you impose tax on their grain. Now, this might not seem that bad because we're capitalists and we're American. And we're like, man, what's the big deal? Pay for it. If you can't pay for it, you can't have it. These are poor people. I don't know if you've ever been in poverty. I know a couple of you have. And it's really hard to get out of poverty. Imagine doing it 2,000 years ago hey, without the internet, all right, and, and job placement organizations and government assistance. Imagine just being out on your own. And what are these people doing? By the way, this is a wealthy nation at this time. They're putting tax, extra tax on the straw and the grain. The basic necessities. Grain is like what these people eat, okay? They're making bread. They're not eating steak dinners. They're not going to a seafood restaurant and getting the buffet. They're making bread. And these people are apparently were putting it out of their reach. They can't afford it. Verse 12, here's some more. He says, I know how many are your offenses and how great are your sins. There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the court. So not even the legal system is on their side. And the worst part of all this is that these, these people, they, they didn't even realize how far from God they were. Because apparently one thing that they were continuing to do is that they were continuing to play the part of a faithful servant of God. Yes, there was like pagan worship going on and all those other things, but even with all that, they would go to the temple. They would make their sacrifices. They were singing songs of praise to God. They were wearing the right things. They were getting all, you know, dressed up for temple. And they were going and they were, and they were like, you know what? This is my, my granddaddy said that we should do this. And they're reading the verses out loud. And they're talking about how we're following Yahweh. We're the nation of Israel. Don't you know what God has done for us? And they're wearing this, this thing, but they have no idea what's at the heart of it. It reminds me of, this, by the way, is one of my pet peeves, this, this uh, example. Uh, it's like someone who wears like a sports jersey for a team, right? And they love the team. They got the hat, they got the jersey, they got the sticker on their car, and they talk a big game, and they talk smack. They talk the traditional smack against the rivals. They do all that, and they put up a big front, and they're like, I'm the but then you get to talk to them about the team. You're like, hey, did you catch the game last night? And they're like, oh, was there a game last night? Oh, uh. And if, when you get right down to it, like if you ever try to sit and watch a game with a person like this, they don't know the rules to the game. They don't know if their team's having a good season or a bad season. They couldn't name a single current player on the team. And you're like, I thought you were a super fan. Now, here's the thing. I, it's, that's just sports, okay? That doesn't matter. It's just a game. It's just fun. You worship your sports team however you want to worship your sports team. It's a pet peeve of mine, but you need to tell me to shut up. It doesn't matter. You do whatever you want. But here's the thing. We cannot treat our God that way. Wear him on the outside, go through the motions, but completely lose sight of what he's all about. And that's what the nation of Israel is dealing with. That's what Amos is talking about. And I would dare say that it's a problem in the church today, in some corners. So listen to the Lord's rebuke of the kingdom of Israel. This is now uh, Amos 5.21. He says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. In fact, your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings... I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. So away with your noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. God's like, guys, you're missing the whole point. I like your, I like your toga. It's pretty. Thanks for wearing it to the temple, whatever. But what's going on in your heart? I don't even want to see your face if your heart's not pointed at me. 
And I don't know if you've ever realized that that's how God feels about our worship when it's ingenuine and we're living like complete hypocrites. By the way, number one reason why people say they don't go to church, there's hypocrites in the church. Also, probably the number one thing that you can't stop. We're all hypocrites, right? We're not perfect, but your heart can still be good and you're not perfect, right? But what Amos is talking about is these people are not even, not even concerned about the heart of God. And they're putting on this front. He said, I'm not interested in your ceremony. I'm not interested in your pageantry. I'm not interested in your sacrifice. Why are you burning that stuff up? It doesn't mean anything to you. <laughs> Why are you doing that? And then Amos gives it to us in verse 24. This is what he wants instead. He says, no, but instead, let justice roll like a river and righteousness like never failing stream. Let justice roll like a river and righteousness like a never failing stream. That's what I want from you. You have a justice problem. You have a righteousness problem. You know what I want from you? This is God. He's talking to the nation of Israel. I believe he's talking to us. What I want from you is righteousness. And what I want from you is justice. And then the worship and the ceremony. Yes, I want your worship. I absolutely want your worship. It's what I created you for. But where's your heart? And that is all we're going to read from the book of Amos today. Now, there's more. There's more stories. There's more illustrations. But I think that we've landed where we need to land because I think there's a little bit more that we can get into as we wrap up. Uh, let justice roll like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. What is justice? Right now what I want to do is take a little... Uh, we're going to do like a, a brief snapshot. If we were in like a college ethics class, this might be like a lesson for a day, okay? So you can get your notebooks out and we can do something. I got some cool illustrations I'll show you on the screen in just a second. Because when you say justice, I think our culture uh, doesn't realize there's a whole lot of different ways to like understand justice. It, justice can mean a couple different things. So what I want to do is I want to talk about those different types of justice and then maybe land on what it means for us to be seeking the type of justice that's loaded with righteousness, okay? So let's just look at a couple of these. We'll use the scenario. You got, you got two kids, one cookie, okay? There's the problem. How do we find justice in this scenario? Well, the very basic form of justice is something we just call reciprocal justice. So reciprocal justice is like basic fairness. Like all justice could just be called reciprocal. That means you get some, I get some. That's what it, and that's what it's like if you got two kids, you got two kids and one cookie, you make sure each kid gets the same amount of cookies. So maybe you cut it in half or whatever. So there's your illustration. That's reciprocal justice, number one. Number two, what if, what if someone comes and takes my cookie and I don't get one, okay? It's not fair. Well, we have to develop a different kind of justice, and we call this second type of justice retributive justice. Because if someone's not, like, making it good, we've got to do something about it. And the, the key word for that is going to be punishment, punishment. So the first was just general fairness. The second was like punishment. And so you take the cookie that I was supposed to share with you. Why'd you do that, by the way? That wasn't cool, right? It was one cookie. Mom said we could share. And you took it. Well, retributive justice says, well, someone needs to pay for that. And so we punish it. So then mommy, mom maybe says, okay, well, you got to go sit in the corner for 20 minutes because you took his cookie. And so here we go. You got a timeout over there. All right. And notice he got a little cookie on his shirt and he bit it and, and he's cool. And she said, it's not fair, but I kind of feel better because you got in trouble, right? And, and, and most importantly, this is what we hope for, is that maybe while you're sitting in the corner, you'll learn to not take cookies, like you'll share cookies, right? And so that's retributive justice, and, and that's why we have, like, jail and why we need lawyers and why, like, this, this, there's punishment that goes on in our system. So we have to work up other solutions because this isn't perfect because still, like, it wasn't exactly fair. Another type of justice that you talk about is called distributive 
justice. Distributive justice basically means that we all get the same amount of everything. By the way, I am oversimplifying all of this, and so any of you who are like maybe ethics majors, and don't come talk to me. I, I just, you know, I tried to understand it, and I wanted to use a cookie, and so stick figures. But distributive justice is like it's all going to be the same. And so that means like, okay, maybe if we're going to have cookies, everybody gets cookies. Okay, so there's two cookies. And maybe there's not enough cookies, and we don't get cookies, okay? If you've ever been a parent and had to make that decision, you know that's how you keep the peace. We got one cookie, I'm going to eat it after you go to bed, okay? If you don't get a cookie because it's going to be unrest. So distributive, now that seems fair, right? But it gets complicated when you get into bigger things like money, okay? So let's say I go to work and I work for a whole day and then the boss gives me $100. That's a good day's work. And you don't go to work. Should you also get $100? And we're all like, uh, no, that doesn't seem fair. So, you know, it doesn't work that way. And so that's why we come up with this, this last part. And this is our legal system, really. The final type I'll talk about is called procedural justice. Procedural justice means there's rules. Okay, and so mom says, if you will eat your vegetables, you can have a cookie. If you do not eat your vegetables, you do not get a cookie. That's the procedure, okay? Lettuce equals cookie, all right? So that's the procedure. And so everyone understands. And so at the end of the day, if you're eating a cookie and I'm not, we know what happened. And it doesn't seem like exactly fair, but I understand. Everyone has access to a cookie. You just need to eat your vegetable, right? That's procedure. And so that's where laws and stuff come in. Again, I'm oversimplifying all the words like reciprocal, retributive, distributive, procedural. It is a head full, and it is a lot to contain. And that is my point. My point is justice is complicated. Isn't it? Like what is right? What is even fair? Now, what has any of this got to do with the book of Amos and God? A whole lot. Uh, first of all, I want to say this. All of these forms of justice that we just talked about, reciprocal, retributive, distributive, procedural, you see them all in the Bible. Okay, So none of them are wrong. They are justice. They're part of justice. I'll give you some examples. Reciprocal. This is just basic fairness. Moses said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's reciprocal. We're going we're gonna to make it fair, right? Retributive. This is about punishment. Uh, there's plenty of talk about punishment and judgment in the Bible. I don't think I have to give a lot of examples. We're studying the book of Amos, okay? So retributive is in the Bible. Distributive, this is about, you know, making it equal and sharing alike. That's how the early church operated. It says that, you know, everything brought their stuff to the feet of the apostles and it was distributed as people had need and no one was in need. That's distributive. That's good. Procedural rules. Well, Paul had a rule in one of his letters. He said, listen, if you don't work, you don't eat. It seems like a procedure, right? So you see, like, all these are in Scripture. So where was it that the people went wrong in the book of Amos? And where's it something we could learn from? Um, God has a heart of justice that goes even deeper than just making things fair. And when you combine righteousness to justice, you get a final type of justice that I think is something we should strive for. And that is called restorative justice. Restorative justice is about treating others with the God-given dignity that they deserve. It means going a step further, actually seeking out vulnerable people who are being taken advantage of and helping them. Let's see the final image for this. Look at this. You got these two people and this third dude walks up with a whole jar full of cookies. What? They're not paying for those. This guy came out of nowhere. Notice he has a big heart on his chest. Restorative justice says, I've gone out and I'm looking for the problem. I need to find where there's injustice happening and then I want to step in and do what I can to help with it. I like that there's three cookies in the jar because then he also gets one, and I like that part too. But you don't always get a cookie when you're doing restorative justice. It's not about fairness. It's about healing. It's, it's not about revenge or payment. 
or settling a score. It's about restoring rightness to the world. And who decides what that is? Well, we look to Scripture and we say, what does God desire for the world? And that's what we try to bring to the world. Restorative justice isn't easy. It's the last part of the quote from Tim Mackey. i got to give him credit. But this, this is going to hurt. I'm sorry I have to say it to all of us today. I'm hearing it myself today. I'm going to stomp on my foot. But listen to this. This is what restorative justice is. Restorative justice means seeing other people's problems and making them your problems. When we talk about justice in the rest of the world, we often are like, how do I get what's mine's? i got to make things right for me. Restorative justice says, no, 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 I, I'm looking for other people's problems, and I'm going to take them on as my own problems. I'm going to help them. Instead of looking down my nose at you, I'm going to reach down my hand. Is it easy? No. But it's the heart of God. Let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream, and we can't have this type of justice without seeking righteousness. As our heart is right with God, we will find more and more motivation to seek out the pain and the hurt in the world and do what we can. And you can't solve all the problems of the world, but you can take one step at a time and do what you can do. That's restorative justice. In every situation, in every neighborhood, in every individual's life, you look at it and say, how can I make this better? What can I do to help? And sure, there's time for tough love and all that. Like, I mean, I've had to do that recently. People that I've, I've been loving and trying to help, and then like they continue to, you know, shoot themselves in the foot, and you have to be like, listen, I can't, if you can't take this simple step, I can't keep helping you. You've got to do some stuff on your own. Like, that's, that's important. Tough love is important. But the goal is restoration. Not just like, ha ha, you're in the gutter. But like, sometimes after it's been a while, you go back and check again. Like, hey, can I help you now? Are you willing to take the steps? Like, it's hard. it's hard. It's complicated, but it's at the heart of God. By the way, restorative justice is the way that Jesus deals with us. Because of our sin, we deserve all the punishment. We deserve zero cookies. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And God's not asking for us to be perfect in it. In fact, what he's saying is, you need righteousness to, to, to have justice. How about this? How about I provide the righteousness for you? You can have some of mine. I got so much. That's what it means to turn to Jesus Christ. We have our sins washed away as we turn our hearts to him, as we re-aim our hearts at God. And with that kind of righteousness that's laid over us, then we can start to be different and act different and impact the world differently. By the way, that's a gift that's in all of you are invited to. So if you don't know that gift, if you don't know what it means to receive the righteousness of God, I hope that you'll speak to someone at the end of the service today, and I'll tell you in a minute how you can connect with somebody if you want to. But that's restorative justice. Uh, John Foreman is a songwriter, one of my favorite songwriters. He's so good. He's the front man for a band called Switchfoot. He also put out a lot of solo stuff. Uh, if you're into music, I want to go ahead and say you're welcome for introducing you to a set of his solo albums. One is called Spring and Summer. It came out in 2008. And I was listening to this back in 2008 when it came out. And I, I hit this song that I listened to that it immediately stopped me in my tracks. I remember listening to it and be like, what? And I, I was in my car and I played it back again, the whole song again. And what happens is in this song, John Foreman, it's called Instead of a Show. And so the, in this song, John basically retells the story of Amos, but instead of talking to the ancient nation of Israel, he talks to the modern church. So this is a, a message from the prophet John Foreman to us uh, and him reclaiming this. So just listen to this. this these are the lyrics. 
This is also in the voice of God. I hate all your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your praise, the hypocrisy of your festivals. I hate all your show. Away with your noisy worship. Away with your noisy hymns. I stop up my ears when you're singing them. I hate all your show. Your eyes are closed when you're praying and you sing right along with the band. You shine up your shoes for services. But there's blood on your hands because you turned your back on the homeless, the ones that don't fit in your plan. Quit playing religion games. There's blood on your hands. Instead, let there be a flood of justice, an endless procession of righteous living. Instead, let there be a flood of justice instead of a show, because I hate all of your show. As God's people, we have got to learn what it means to live righteously and justly. Justly, we have a righteousness problem, we have a justice problem. And Jesus comes in to fill in the gap when we can't get it right. But it begins when our heart is pointed in the right direction. Listen to how some of the other Bible writers spell it out. Proverbs 31, 8 through 9. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. For the rights of all those who are destitute, speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. This is from Jeremiah 22, verse 3. This is what the Lord says. Do what is just and right. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor the one who has been robbed. Do not wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. And do not shed innocent blood in this place. Psalm 146, 7 through 9. The psalmist says, He upholds the cause of the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets his prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the way of the wicked. Let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness, a never-failing stream. Guys, I don't know if you have a righteousness problem or a justice problem, but all of that can change right now. Every single day we have the opportunity to turn our hearts to God. That's called repentance. And maybe you've never done it in an official way for the first time to say, I want, I want to follow Jesus with my life. I want to invite you to make that decision today. You can come and speak to one of our elders, one of our spiritual leaders at the back of the room today. Uh, you can spend time talking to the friend you came to church with today. You say, where do I begin? Because that free gift of his righteousness is yours. And then, guys, this world is broken. And no amount of government programs or money is going to fix it all. But as the kingdom of God marches on, Person by person, we can restore people to their God-given dignity and be righteous. Let me pray for us.